back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. I'm Richard Grover. Was F9 the greatest failure in film history? <laughs> no, it was not. Richard Roper will explain exactly what happened there. But first, let me remind you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is being brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It all drives your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. Well, let's talk about F9, Fast and the Furious, the ninth installment of this film series. You last week just literally ripped it apart like a shark. Yeah. Well, okay, we're going to be talking about sharks as well. Well played. Every time you say F9, I feel like I'm cursing an entire baseball team. F9! <laughs> Yankees! Uh, but yes, F9, listen, we know this franchise is very popular. Of the nine, I'm going to say off the top of my head, I've probably liked four and five have been, you know, just trashy. We know what they are. We've talked about how they started off as a, a movie about an undercover cop and some street racers. And now it's turned into this weird cartoon Bond thing where a rocket fueled Fiero is literally flying through space uh -huh. where they're kind of admitting, hey, we, we are now ludicrous and ludicrous is in it and a comedy more than a real serious drama. Although you always get at the end of every one of these movies, Row, you get the Corona product placement barbecue. Oh boy. Where they all sit around the picnic table and uh, Vin Diesel's Dom Toretto gives a speech about the importance of family, even though they've left about 170 families without a mom and or a dad during all the high speed chase sequences we've had in the movies. But that's what the movie is. Now, here's the good news, and I do say this sincerely, even though I didn't like the film. F9 has set, the trades are calling this row, the pandemic-era domestic box office record. Now, I don't know if that includes silent films from, like, 1919, because that was also a pandemic <laughs> era. Well, yeah. But I don't Charlie think Chaplin? so. Adjusted for inflation. You know, Gold Rush? Uh, but uh, about $70 million over the weekend for right. F9. Uh, now, this is the good news about this, more than anything else. It played in 4,179 theaters. 4,179. You and I... On the Screen Time podcast, and please download and subscribe so you can listen to all the great ones and the mm -hmm. pr pretty good ones we've done uh, right. over the last year. There's or been so. one clunker, but you guys have to figure out which one it is. Uh, I know which one, uh, but that was mostly me. But we've talked about this because people were saying and asking in very serious tone, even eight months ago, will theaters ever come back? And I kept saying, yes, they will come back. Yes, they will come back. Part of it was just looking at the business model and the fact that you know we're eventually and the science model and knowing we're going to be eventually getting back to something approaching normal. But, Ro, 4,179 theaters across the country playing F9, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. The pandemic's over. I don't know how it's in the rest of the country, but when I see the pictures of Miami, of Los Angeles, of New York, and of Chicago, where we live, it's as though it never happened. Well, and congratulations to the scientists and mm -hmm. the, the vaccine makers and the individuals, the tens of millions of individuals with brains who don't believe that by taking the vaccine, you'll be able to press your car keys to your face and they'll never <laughs> fall. So, yeah, I'm actually encouraged by and listen, we know we can get into a whole other discussion about yeah. anti-vaxxers and all of that. But I the great news is the box office, A Quiet Place 2 
has now reached 135 million row at the box office. These are pure theatrical releases. We're still having a lot of movies. Uh, we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about Black Widow, which is going to get that multi-platform. You know, we know the Warner Brothers films are going to come out on HBO Max and in theaters. These are theatrical releases we're talking about. Okay, so let me ask you that question. HBO and Warner Brothers, all owned by the same conglomerate, mm -hmm. HBO Max, decided what they were going to do was to release these films that and they have a huge roster of films yeah, coming out this yeah. year and they were going to do them simultaneously on HBO Max and in the theaters because they just weren't sure that they were going to be able to get them out any other way right. and have audiences see them. Now, that apparently is not the case as of July 1st, let's call it. It's not like a parliamentary procedures. You can change the rules well, for your own they? studio if you question. want. Uh, I think they'll look at the numbers at the end of the year. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, Cruella. Uh, the Disney film, which I loved, by the way. I think it was better than any 101 Dalmatians, either the live action or the animated version. And people were talking about, well, it didn't do that great at the box office, but it was simultaneously available on Disney Plus for a premium of about $30. Right. They don't have to release those numbers. Now, Netflix is sort of in that same ballpark. They don't charge premiums, but they don't, you know, they'll they'll talk about what's, you know, trending or what's popular, right. but they don't have to tell you. I would think at some point Disney Plus will want people to know, hey. Cruella made $50 million or whatever on the streaming platform. So you have to incorporate all that. But HBO is not going to throw extra money at this, right? Or we're not going to have to throw extra money at HBO for it. If you've got, well, it depends on if you've got Disney plus, you're still going to have to play a pay a premium for the big ticket movies. You're a subscriber to Disney plus, but Hey, if you want Cruella, you got to pay this much extra. If you've got HBO or HBO Max, these are the movies that are available to you, you know, and that's part of the, the bundle. Let's face it. Is there one person out there in screen time, podcast, listening land, or anybody in this studio who really knows how much they pay for cable and streaming services no. anymore? It's no. like, what? Oh, no. I have what? My free trial's over? Oh. So I pay for just one of the things I have more than I paid for my first car it's, every month. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of people do this, and it's completely legit. And, the, and the, trust me, the, the premium cables and the streaming services know this. They'll hop on and hop off like it's a tram at a theme park. So you'll you know you'll you'll join you'll rejoin HBO. I know a lot of people did this during the Game of Thrones era, the new season of Game of Thrones because they were sometimes spaced out by what a year and a half, right? Right. right. So if someone would say, "Okay, Game of Thrones is coming back. I'm going to rejoin HBO, and I'm a new subscriber because I haven't done anything in a long time, or you know, returning. And I'm going to get some kind of deal, and then I'm going to jump off the train when Game of Thrones plays out." And I know a lot of people are doing that. And now the streaming services, I'm not saying they're on to it, but a lot of times now they'll say, if you want to cancel your subscription, they'll say, why don't you just give it a nap? Let it go into hibernation. And, and you can you know, resuscitate it at any point. And you don't have to do the whole rejoining thing. And we'll give you a free month when you want to do that. So they'd let you not pay for that month? Yeah, but you want to go away? But, but you're not going to see anything either. You know, so in other words, they're saying that you don't have to cancel everything. It's like, oh. and, and the the newspapers, you know, the, uh, the news websites, you know, whether it's the Chicago Sun-Times where I write or the L.A. Times or the New York Times, a lot of them kind of starting to follow that same thing where if someone's because it's, it's the same thing, you know, this back in the day. If someone would call the Tribune in Chicago or any newspaper, the Sun-Times in Chicago, I'm canceling my subscription. Wait, 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 don't cancel. How about... <laughs> I know. We throw in the Sunday paper for free. You know, there's always a way to kind of work around that. But the good news is yes. that we've got more than almost 4,200 theaters playing a movie, a big, dumb summer action movie. We sure as hell didn't have that happening in 2020. So on top of this, Vin Diesel has a pretty dumb idea, doesn't he? <laughs> well, you know, he's saying that he's down for a Fast and Furious 
musical. He told uh, the Kelly Clarkson show. You know, we have these new daytime TV shows making news now. So I, congr- I think she's been on like for three or four seasons. Well, congratulations to yeah. us for, for knowing that. I love Kelly Clarkson. So Vin Diesel said, I'm dying to do a musical. I've been dying to do a musical my whole life. Now, he actually says, I was this close to doing Guys and Dolls with Steven Spielberg, but we ended up not doing that. I'm Which sorry, I he said say, what? He, what? What did he say he was going to do? They were going to do a remake. Steven Spielberg was going to do Guys and Dolls, and Vin Diesel was going to be Well, I, I'd assume he'd be playing the Brando role, right? Yeah. Was that Sky Masterson? Yeah. Was that his character? Yeah, um, but wait, 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 hold yeah. on. They were going to do, they were going to stage a <laughs> musical of Guys and Dolls. I mean, I I, I I totally get like the West Side yeah. Story and the Lin-Manuel Miranda in the film Heights, and, yeah. in the Heights. And the all Heights. That. Yeah. yeah, whatever. It's been, I mean, I get it, but who's asking for Guys and Dolls? Yeah, I just figured that, you know, well, listen, Steven Spielberg did cast Vin Diesel in Saving Private Ryan. And yes, exactly it was excellent. How to use him yeah. and a lot of other actors that you, when you're watching the movie, sometimes you're like, wait a minute. Edward Burns. You know, I mean, you see all these amazing, yeah. you know, actors who took smaller roles because they wanted to be a part of this very special film. Do you think maybe this just came up at like some sort of, you know, Hollywood gathering and, you know, Vin, you know, come up in his, he always wears the sleeveless shirt, even like at premieres and stuff. Mm-hmm. And God bless him, he's in his 50s now. It looks yeah. great. But yeah, and, and he just said, you know, you know, three words, guys and dolls. And Stephen went, oh, yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. Okay, so yeah. doing that at a premiere, is that like talking to Steven Spielberg and taking a meeting and now we're in development? Is that the kind of thing that we're supposed to believe about Possibly that? I don't believe so. that story. And now he's saying, uh, Diesel, that he actually want to play Nathan Detroit in uh, in Guys and Dolls. Listen, that was uh, the Sinatra character, yes, right? right. Uh, no, we don't. That's not going to happen. Apparently, Vin Diesel, and I, listen, someone will let me know about this. Apparently, he has musical chops. He seems to want to get right. on Broadway. Now, on F- Then get on Broadway. F- you're Vin Diesel. You can get on Broadway. I mean, you're well, yeah, he, making- can li- he can line up and get those tickets for like half price <laughs> on the day of the play and then go see Chicago. Or, right. You know, oh, he'd be perfect for Chicago. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, uh, Vin Diesel is not, I don't, you know, his range to me usually goes all the way from like one end of a studio apartment to the other. I mean, he, when he's in the right role, the Fast and Furious fits him. I've not seen him, you know, do a lot of other roles that jump out at me. Uh, he does not lack for confidence because there's also a story no. recently that, you know, he had this big feud with The Rock when The Rock joined the cast of one of the Fast and Furious movies. I'm and then Team was, Rock, by the way. And then we had this spinoff, Hobbs and Shaw. And he, but he talked about how they feuded because he was the producer on this Fast and Furious movie, and he didn't think The Rock was bringing it. And, and Diesel said, I wasn't trying to do a Fellini thing with him, but he needed to step his game up. And I'm like, so you consider yourself to be a vastly superior actor to The Rock, to Dwayne Johnson? Because I think it's kind of a even call. They're they're movie stars more than they're actors. And, and Dwayne Johnson's a much bigger movie star. Yeah. I'm just surprised that Dr. and Mrs. Diesel, when they had their baby oh Finn, I think he... <laughs> didn't actually raise him to be more of a gentleman about that. Well, uh, I think he might have changed his name. It's possible, Dr. and Mrs. Diesel. Uh, listen, I, by all accounts, you know, uh, people like working with him, and you have to give him this much. He realized early on that this Fast and Furious franchise was going to make him immensely wealthy, so he didn't walk away from Dom Toretto, you know, around the sixth movie, where a lot of Actors who get in that situation, like, I want to expand my horizons and spread my wings. So anyway, we're going to get at least two more Fast and Furious movies. They're talking about an F-10 that'll be in two parts, like like, like Godfather 1 and 2. Like you know, now is that I, ten and eleven, or is that ten and ten point five, ten point one? What is I? You know what? All right, okay. I have spoken now more about Vin yeah. Diesel than I have ever in my life. 
I think it is time to tell you about Portillo's. Okay. The greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're going to have anywhere on the planet Earth. Right down to the poppy seed bun. You're going to enjoy it so much because it's one of the million great ingredients that Portillo's uses, whether it's the Italian beef or the sausage or the legendary chocolate cake. That's just all the beginning. Mm -hmm. The fries, the salads, the chicken. Telling you, if you have Portillo's, the burger, it, the burger's great. Yes, that's right. and and you can get beer at the Portillo's too if you go nice. into the store. Nice. I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you have a Portillo's near you and you've not eaten at a Portillo's before, let's say you live in California, Arizona, or Florida where it's relatively new, you want to check it out. Take the Row and Roper endorsement here. It's one of the finest experiences you're gonna have ever in that kind of a food environment like fast casual you know it's not exactly fast food you can sit down it's nicer but it's super great portillos.com p-o-r-t-i-l-l-o-s.com ask your friends in chicago about it portillos.com warner brothers has expanded out the friends experience because the friends special was such a gigantic hit for them well and people loved seeing the the six original cast members uh walking on to the reconstructed sets and talking about the bedrooms and the two apartments and Central Perk, of course. So for the Warner Brothers studio tour, you're going to have this friend's experience, right? So you're going to be able to see the two bedrooms and the hallways and the coffee shop and everything. But, but are they going to do it in the same way that it was really on the set? They're going to take yeah, you basically onto it, the set? No, that's the thing. I, from my understanding is it's going to be a, you know, a reproduction, which you get often on these things. You know, They'll put everything together. It probably is going to be what they did with the with the special, which was the original set, but then they added some things. You know, some stuff goes into storage. You know, this a lot of stuff gets repurposed. It's amazing. Even in this day and age, they'll take the set from a sitcom and they'll reupholster the furniture and put it on another sitcom or, you know, redo the living room. Every single sitcom, I think, since about 1970 has what they call the staircase to nowhere. You know, that leads up to, you know, remember all in the family. They right. go up to the bedrooms and then Archie would, you know, flush the turlet, as, as they called it, right? Everybody's got, and it's a great way for characters to exit and enter. You see it on stage plays as well. You know, wrote to me, it's like, if it's not the original set, I don't get the magic. You know, there was this huge deal a couple of years ago. Remember the Brady Bunch house went on the market. The woman who lived in the Brady Bunch house, the exterior you see, which is somewhere in the Los Angeles area, is a real house. And then, of course, they build sets and everything. But that house, you know, for 50 years, people would drive by and take pictures. And they said the poor woman finally sold it, you know, for a, a huge amount of money because I think a lot of buyers were thinking of they tear down that small house and put up a big, you know, right. McMansion it's like all of our childhood homes so much smaller yeah. than we remember it being. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned. I actually went back a few years back to the house, the bungalow I grew up in, and everything. Yeah, I didn't go inside. It wasn't that idiot that knocked on the door and said, I lived here. Can I come in? <laughs> yeah. No, get off our property. But uh, just looking at the, the driveway and everything. So, and Lance Bass wanted to buy the Brady Bunch house. He was going to do some sort of flip thing. And then HGTV paid like an exorbitant amount and turned it into a reality show where they brought in all, right. their, all their property brothers and everybody and even got, you know, the surviving cast members of the Brady Bunch to get involved. It was a very clever idea for a show that they stretched out over a long period of time. And they eventually got like a lot of the furniture pieces. They either redid them or found things that were like them and made it look just like the interior of the Brady Bunch house. You know, first of all, I never really gave a shit about the Brady Bunch. It was not one of my favorite shows. It became a huge favorite more in syndication through the generations for a lot of people. 
I, I didn't get it. I mean, I got it. I just didn't think it was that funny. I thought it was dopey, dumbed down, mm-hmm. you know, cheesy comedy. You know, laugh track kind of, was really annoying. Yeah, you know, and but listen, a lot of people love it. To me, though, okay, that's great that they did that, but I wouldn't want to visit that house even if I love the show because it's not the original place. I don't get going to these places if it's not the actual set. I understand the notion of wanting to see what television looks like being made. That's, I think, super cool to see. Sure. So building it on a soundstage for the Universal, for the Warner Brothers tour in this particular case, Mm -hmm. is kind of a cool idea. So you get to see that everything is next to each other like you saw in the Friends special and you're like, oh, I thought this was here, and that was yeah, there. Yeah, always that's, cool. It's kind yeah. of a cool thing. Yeah, yeah it, it isn't it isn't very much real, but people will want to go there, and they will want to take pictures because it'll look like they're yeah. you know in in the coffee house or in in Joey you know playing the video games or whatever the fuck Joey and Chandler did. Well, right? Weren't they yeah. doing this like in uh, mobile phone stores? Wasn't well, they do the pop ups. They, they they had a friend's pop up you know an experience, they, and they something. still they're still doing that. And they do that with other sets of TV shows, but it's the same thing. It's like it looks just like it. They do it with movies sometimes too. They did it with uh, Ferris Bueller, which we talked about just last week, where they recreated. Ferris's bedroom uh, at the Virgin Hotel in Chicago, and they had all these anniversary celebrations, and it looked exactly like the bedroom, but it's not the bedroom oh my God, from the shit? movie. See, well, and that thing I do care about. To me, it's like, okay, it's really cool. Like, if you're in Atlanta, you can go on a Walking Dead bus tour, but they're taking you to actual exteriors that have been used on the TV show. Mm-hmm. Albuquerque is that a cottage industry about showing people around to the various Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul locations. We talked about this before. I used to do a lot of work for the Reels channel, which is located in the Albuquerque studios. They were doing Breaking Bad there. So I had a chance to visit the set of Breaking Bad, the actual set, Mm -hmm. while the show was still going on, and Saul Goodman's office. And that was really cool. Uh, Years and years and years ago, I got a chance to visit the Cheers Bar. Not the Cheers Bar in Boston, the Bull and Finch, which they now eventually renamed Cheers, but the actual set, the bar, which was really cool because it was a full-ass bar with working taps, and if you watch the show, and like every little thing, like the softball schedule and everything was like legit. And just a few years ago, right before the last season of Modern Family, I got to visit that set. And you and I have talked about this. Yeah, but these is, are these are real sets. These are real sets. This yeah. is not going. This but is going you as a, you know go. entertainment uh, journalist. You're correspondent in the field, right? Yeah. I okay. So if you could visit yeah. a set from any time in cinematic history. Hmm. TV. We're talking about TV shows, TV productions, Fine. right? Yeah. TV. What yeah. would you visit? Wow. You know, that's a great question. I really did love going to the Modern Family set. You and I listed our favorite sitcoms of all time, and I had it on the list. And that one, you know, we talk about this too. Even wily veterans like ourselves, when you visit the set and you see the Pritchett household is right next to Mitch and Cam's apartment, next to the Dunphy household. And Alex's college dorm is really just this repurposed hallway. It's still amazing what they could do. And the and all the bright exteriors that make it look like it's sunny outside. It's just some palm trees and some lighting on an indoor set. So that was really cool. I really would have loved to see them doing The Office. Because, again, the choreography within the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company was incredible. That's you know, true. The conference room, and then it became this meeting spot. And then all the cubicles and the accountants were here. Jim and Pam were here, and they the camera work in that show is wildly underrated, I think, Ro, because they moved it around to make it look like this giant paper company. Right. Well, they also never let you lose the access of where you were yes. in the office, yeah. which I thought was pretty cool. That's very hard to do very in a hard. three-dimensional yeah. space. Yeah. So they did. Congratulations to them. 
I, I got two okay. that I would actually yeah. love to visit. Okay. I want the Ralph Cramden set from The Honeymooners. Oh, my gosh. I want to find out what's in that bedroom. Because uh, you'll remember, it was just one room they shot that thing in. Yeah, that was shot like an off-Broadway play. Right. In a way. Yeah. They only showed you two places. They showed uh, you either his apartment, and I think on a couple of episodes, they showed you Norton's apartment. It's the exact same apartment, essentially, but yeah. they just tricked it up differently. So that was okay. that's kind so you'd of, want to go all the way back to the fifties and the honeymooners. Yes, I would do that. I think yeah. also the boss's office might have made it, and also that had a little icebox in the corner too. I don't understand <laughs> yeah. how it went. And Batman from the nineteen sixties, like Batman sixty eight. I want to go to the Batcave. Oh jeez. See, I think I think that'd be so disappointing because it would be so cheesy. Yes, so you that's think it would fine. look terrible? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, I have zero interest in living in somebody's living room. I just want to see how they did and what the colors were, especially in black and white stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm fa- endlessly fascinated by that. You know, they they said about the monsters that it didn't really come across on screen because it was shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was like neon green. They had to make him neon green so that his face would have the contour really? of pallor. And then when they went to color, you know, eventually when they made the movies, Monsters Go Home or whatever the hell else, they they kept that green kind of color. And you're like, I never oh, knew man, that. that's uncool. Yeah. Because it played great in the black and white, but then in color, you're like, oh, this is too much to look at. That's fascinating. I never knew that. It's interesting. I recently did a panel with a lot of the behind-the-scenes artists who did the Aretha Franklin uh, six-part miniseries that we talked about earlier this year. And it was fascinating to talk to the makeup artists in particular and the set designers because part of the series would go back to Aretha's childhood and those would be in black and white. Mm-hmm. And then we'd get into the 60s and 70s and, of course, the great colors and the popping you know, cultural uh, look of the 60s and the 70s right. with the bright outfits and the houses and everything. But I, I remember talking to the wardrobe person and the makeup person talk about how they had to really think about when stuff was in black and white, how they could make it still look like the colors contrasted as opposed to when you're doing something that's in color. You're like, well, this is tangerine, this is blue, this is cream colored, et cetera. Right. And it was a completely different challenge for the behind the scenes people. They use really vibrant colors for yes. black and white to make that To distinguish work. The, so that they don't all just look like muted grays. And when you go back and look, you know, we're, we're going down a different road here, but that's because it's screen time <laughs> and all of this stuff is on screen time. But if you go back and look at the great, brilliant black and white movies for decades and you realize the, the brilliance of Casablanca right. or Citizen Kane yep. or It's a Wonderful Life because they had to take that into account when filming in glorious black and white. I think the only other thing I would say is I would have loved to be on the set of one of these uh, cop procedurals, you know, where they're like Hill Street Blues or yeah, something. Where you got the whole, you know, the whole office like that would be pretty cool as well. Yeah, with the little I swinging you, door. Yeah. Now, did they really have those in police stations? You have to go past a swinging door like you're going into a courtroom <laughs> to get to see Sipowitz sitting on a donut. I always wondered too, like, what is it, Law and Order? Did they always tell the cast? And now, right now, they're going to go, chung chung, you know, and then you'd know it was time for a break. <laughs> Don't know. I'm just glad. I thought for a second you might say something, you wanted to see something like Red Shoe Diaries, just so you'd no. be on the set of like no, those, no like, zero interest. Tawdry shows from back in the day. No, okay. I, I'm just fascinated endlessly by those things as a child that I tried to figure out. Yeah, because I was so annoyed. I loved the Honeymooners. 
was one of the only times, you know, that wow. I would watch my parents laugh together as opposed to at each other oh, or, like, gosh. you know, throw an yeah. orange juice oh, can. Oh, boy. That was, so to me. They're was, worse than we are. Was that the whole idea? <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. And, again, and I sort of yeah. liked that whole thing. Yeah. But it was so interesting that it was just happening in one room because that was made, you know, 20 years or 30, whatever, before I was born. And I was thinking about, because I was planted in front of a television as a child and said, all right, stay here for 12 hours while we go out and do something else. And I was always trying to figure out what it was I was looking at. And that show endlessly fascinated me because it was so good and so simple. I figured that all these other shows that were trying to trick stuff up, yeah, you that's know, true. Like, like the Brady Bunch or other shows of that ilk, you didn't need that. You needed the live audience. You could hear the live audience actually responding in weird ways. You, you every once in a while, you'd have somebody call something out. Oh, wow. in Some of those. I have to go back and watch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fa- they're endlessly, endlessly fascinating. And the writing was great. The performances were great, and they were simple and they were compact, and they just were as good as almost anything else you're going to see in terms of an entertaining thing for 26 minutes. We'll see if we can get Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone to transport you back in time. Last uh, set uh, observation, Ro, it was interesting because when people were talking about, you know, and we did some of this too, when they were picking nits about friends, about you know how could they afford this apartment. And then I heard somebody on some show talk about how, well, in Central Park, it's this crowded coffee shop and the couch was always available. I'm like, were they supposed to sit? Were they supposed to have a whole episode where they couldn't sit on the couch? But Seinfeld, you know, they had one. Yeah, did they have one they where they couldn't find one, the couch? Right when they're yeah. like right, opposite see. numbers or doppelgangers were sitting on the couch. That's perfect. So yeah. they had that self awareness, which Seinfeld did as well, because uh, of course you know Jerry and, and Larry David with the brilliance of that. Because of course they had uh, Monk's Coffee Shop, which I think people know is actually Tom's Diner, which was also a Suzanne Vegas song. But that you know, famously that exterior. But of course, they always sat in the same booth at the coffee shop. And there was one episode where like George and Jerry walk in and there's like three booths available. And Jerry goes, this one looks good. And they sat in the one they've been sitting in for 100 episodes. (laughs) Yeah, let's try this one. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's it for this edition of Screen Time on Thursday. We're going to celebrate Independence Day. The movie? Yes, exactly. And Independence Day, of right. course. And the 4th of July. Absolutely. I don't like calling it Independence Day for some reason. I like 4th of July. That's what that's, I'm used That's to. so you don't forget the date. Exactly. Congratulations. Although somehow it's on the 5th or the 6th or something. Yes. I don't know what the hell it's doing. All right. Let me just tell you this, that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. American Eagle. Full service. Global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Renee Nelson and Tim Alanius are our executive producers, musical director, Brian Altai. See you next time.